A reading from Psalm 6. These are God's words. For the choir director, with stringed instruments, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, do not reprove me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Yahweh, how long? Return, O Yahweh, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I flood my couch with my tears. My eyes have wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. These are God's words. You can take your seats. So in this psalm, we see how a godly man who is in great distress thinks through the troubles he is facing, or more accurately, accurately, how he sings through his troubles. David does not give us specifics regarding his situation here, and at times it can be hard to tell if he is speaking of spiritual struggles or physical struggles. For example, he asks for God to heal him for his bones are dismayed. Was he, asking some, uh, for, was he facing some physical ailment that needed physical healing, or were his bones aching in another sense because he was in such grief over his sin? Did he need healing of his conscience um, so that his bones would be restored? Or did his bones hurt in bed because he was stressing out about the enemies he would face in the morning? From the rest of the psalm, I think it was this last situation but any of these could have been true from the text itself. Whether he was being afflicted by his own conscience or by the actions of other men, David wisely understood that to deal with this situation, he had to deal with God first and foremost. He considered his present distress to be discipline from the hand of Yahweh. And since he was a sinner, he understood that it was discipline that was deserved. We know this because he requested that God would be gracious to him and he would turn away his anger. God is never angry for no reason, and it is for sin that we require grace. Let us read the first two verses again uh, so that we can see this in the text. It says, O Yahweh, do not reprove me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am pining away. Heal me. O Yahweh, for my bones are dismayed. Though David admits that he is under the discipline of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that he considers his current troubles as a direct consequence for some particular sin. Sometimes the discipline of the Lord is directly due to sin, such as when David lost his son after his adultery with Bathsheba. 
but often it isn't. It is true, though, that in the midst of discipline, David has become very aware of his sinfulness. It is natural for the Christian to think this way because we know that all hardship entered this world through sin. As you are all aware, our family has been very sick this week. And a couple of times it led Mel and I to discuss the purpose of sickness. One thing that came to mind for me was that sickness is a fitting curse to sin. There was no sickness before the fall and God believed it was a fitting response to sin to afflict mankind with all manner of sickness. And since we all sinned in Adam, in an ultimate sense, we brought every experience of sickness upon ourselves. Sickness should remind us of our sin. And we can stretch that principle out even further. Our, dis- our sin deserved not only the curse of sickness, but the wrath of God. Any hardship we experience on earth falls short of that. So the discipline of God reminds us of the wrath that we escaped through Christ. This is what Calvin said in his commentary about this passage. Quote, Those persons are very unsuitably exercised under their afflictions. In other words, they, they, don't, they don't wear them well, or they're not, they, don't, um, they don't receive them well who do not immediately take a near and a steady view of their sins in order thereby to produce the conviction that they have deserved the wrath of God. And yet we see how thoughtless and insensible almost all men are on the subject. For while they cry out that they are afflicted and miserable, scarcely anyone, uh, scarcely one among a hundred looks to the hand which strikes." So it is right to respond to God in our hardships as David does in the psalm. Do not reprove me in your anger, God, nor discipline me in your wrath. The next few verses say, Return, O Yahweh, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? The trouble David was facing was clearly life-threatening. When he asked God, rescue my soul and save me, this was not a request for eternal life. He was asking that he could continue praising God among the living. For, he says, there is no remembrance of God and death. How, we, how are we meant to understand this? Did David not know about the heavenly thanksgiving that he would be giving after he died? Should we do what other Christians have done and ditched the Psalms because the writers had a deficient understanding of many things taught to us in the New Testament? Of course, we should not do that. These are the words of David, but they are also the inspired words of God, and they are without error. And we are also commanded in the New Testament to sing them. But we do need to understand the power of this argument, for there is no remembrance of you in death. Or else we won't understand how to sing the psalm in truth. The reason why David brings this argument before God is because God delights in the praises of men while they are alive on earth in a unique way. There is a quality to those earthly praises that would make God want to prevent David's premature death at the hands of evil men. Earthly praises matter to God. And if David departed for Sheol, 
he would not give earthly praises amongst the dead. So David appeals to this argument rightly. God cares that he would live. There is no tension between Paul and David here. Paul did say that he was pressed between the two desires of living and dying, and that it would and that to be with Christ would be far better. But at the beginning of that same chapter, he wrote, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Though Paul was in jail, he believed that through the prayers of the church, that he would be delivered from jail and his life would be sustained. And this did happen. We know it from the rest of the scriptural account. Paul's earthly work along with his thanksgiving, would have stopped if he died. Remember, that's his earthly work would have stopped. So Paul and the church prayed that it would continue, and God answered their prayer. God will be honored in both our life and death, but while we are living, it is right to pray that we continue living. We have one shot at having a fruitful life on earth, and when it is over, it is over. So it is fitting for us to sing this part of the psalm. Next, in verses 6 and 7, David poetically describes the intensity of his grief. I am weary of my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I flood my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of my adversaries. I don't think I've experienced this kind of grief yet. There have been nights where I have cried for hours and given myself sore eyes and a headache. But David is describing the heights of grief here. His eyes have wasted away to the point that they have become like an old man. This is grief at its pinnacle. Which means that this song is suitable for the, for the person who is experiencing the worst kinds of pain and loss. David, the original St. Chad at the peak of what masculinity could be, cried until his bed floated. That means under similar circumstances, it would be right for us to do the same. David is not doubting God by crying here. He was experiencing God's world as he ought to. Unfortunately, Calvinists can be known for being frozen emotionally, and that is terrible. It is usually due to those Calvinists holding an imbalanced, deterministic kind of Calvinism, though. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God over all things is taught in Scripture, but it was not taught so that we would deaden ourselves to the experience of God's decree. God is honored when we feel appropriately about the things he has decreed for us. Sometimes that looks like soaking your pillow and asking that God would take away your grief. Lastly, in verse eight through, or verses 8 through 10, David sings, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh receives my prayer. All, the enemies will, all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Now, this can seem like a strange way to sing here at the end. David addresses the workers of iniquity, telling them to depart when they are not in front of him. He's not addressing God here, but his enemies, who are presumably in many locations and unable to hear him. 
But we have to conclude that this is a legitimate way to address them. Declare what they ought to do into the air in the form of a song, because Yahweh has heard your supplication and receives your prayer. These workers of iniquity are about to be humbled by the rise of King David. At the time that the psalm was written, they had evidently put themselves above David and were putting his name to shame. But the result of David's prayer is that the tables will be turned entirely. They will now be the ones who are ashamed. Though David was greatly dismayed, they will be the ones greatly dismayed. God loves to do this. He exalts in the lowly and brings down the proud. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. The kings of the earth shall bow down to Christ the anointed one and the meek shall inherit the earth with him. Isn't that awesome? We're going to sing now uh, this Psalm 6 to the American tune of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The tune we sing here in New Zealand to When I Survey is far superior and less depressing. But the depressing American tune actually fits the psalm quite well, so I'd be happy if it keeps it. Um, There are five verses in all, um, so I've added a key change on the last verse to break it up and to drive home that final answer to the prayer. So um, let's sing.
Bye.